Judah and Matthew are dumpster people, and they occasionally use foul and inappropriate language. Listen at your own risk. Welcome to Brother Date, Star Trek's edition. I'm Matthew. I'm Judah. Hey, this is a new era that we are entering here. It's such a new era that actually on the on the baseball caps, the Brother Date logo is going to be stitched on the side. That's oh, how that'll be fun. big a fucking new era it is here. I could probably make a three-color red, white, and blue version. Oh, hell yeah. Go Maybe I'll, uh... I would prefer you did one that matched the color scheme of each hat. Oh, I see. Yeah, well, so, okay. So Kelly green and yellow, probably. Yeah, if, I mean, if it was on a white hat, but if it's on a green hat, you're going to want it to be white and yellow. Probably, right? Ah, man, I don't know. All right. Well, anyway, everybody, we only got three episodes moving forward per week for the next lots of weeks. Yeah. So that's exciting. Yeah. If, I mean, it's almost all of the rest of them. Voyager checks out around week 168 or 169 or something like that. So, you know, that's most of the rest, but... It was, I don't know what was nicer, only having to watch three this week or just not having to watch Enterprise. <laughs> I mean, you know, for me, and that's the reason you ended up always doing the descriptions on TOS and Enterprise, Enterprise made me sleepy. <laughs> I, I often would lose focus and start looking at something else and miss like 10 minutes of an Enterprise. So yeah, I'm pretty glad that one's gone. Yeah. Because as much as I hate Voyager, I do kind of like talking about how much I hate Voyager. Yeah, uh, we do often seem to run long. Um, we're not starting with Voyager this week, though. No. Yeah. Uh, everyone knows how this goes. Third place last week, not last place, but third place, mm. was The Next Generation. This week we watched, in theory, something's wrong. <laughs> there it is. Bomb. Bomb. Actually, uh, you fuck one thing up. I do have something I'd like to say before we get started here. Um, yeah. Something I saw online that I found very inspirational. A good critic always puts more into writing about artwork than the artist puts into making it. The artist only creates. The critic must plumb that creation and also write creatively enough to deliver the full volume of the art while also creating a thing of beauty and clarity itself. That's what we now, do here. Was, was that written by Zeth Lundy? It was written by Jerry Salt, who somehow won a Pulitzer Prize despite being a complete moron. Okay. Because <laughs> I read that and almost crapped myself with Incredulity. <laughs> but I, but it's, it, it definitely fits what we do here because these Star Trek well, writers. It, it does feel like we're going to put more effort into talking about in theory than they put into it. Um. Yeah, hey. So, in this episode, um, Data is modifying some torpedoes to blow up in a dark matter nebula. As, like, as as flares, basically. Uh-huh, yeah, they, they found a dark matter nebula and they're gonna study it. 
by blowing some, uh-huh. by blowing some torps up or something by just fire torpedoes into it they've learned nothing from uh half a life um but who cares about any of that yep. because data's got himself a new friend nervous blonde jenna Desora. Uh, she's in the middle of a breakup, and as a result, he's been reading up on romance. And also, we're like, I don't know, six weeks into their friendship or eight weeks into their friendship. Uh, we never did see it before, but I guess off screen they've been getting to know each other. Mm. Uh, she's gone through a breakup. He's got no boundaries, so he's all in her business about it. That's fine. She's into it. Um, They play a little chamber music together, uh, along with Keiko on clarinet. Data tells her she plays the flute real good. Uh, then they go and have a drink with the O'Briens. Keiko tells her riveting socks on the floor story. <laughs> Saves that anecdote for important occasions. Hey, maybe that's why when I was a kid, I thought married people were going to be like extremely fucking boring. <laughs> that was like, it was that and then like just whatever family sitcoms I was watching. And I was like, fuck that, dude. Why would anyone even get married? Thanks, Keiko uh, and Miles O'Brien, who should never have been married. Yeah. Uh, up on the old bridge, Data tells Picard and Riker that it's possible that life in this dark matter nebula might have developed in new and exciting ways. So they head on in to check out an M-class planet. Yeah. Uh, a hypo spray falls off a counter in sick bay, but that's probably nothing. No one cares about that. Uh, and then we're back in the torpedo Bay, where Jenna DeSora does the old why can't I ever fall for a guy like you routine with Data. Mm. And kisses him twice times before leaving. Yeah, just right there. Right just there. in the torpedo bay. At work. Yeah. Uh, he goes to an empty 10 forward where Guinan is, you know, up late at night trying out a new green drink. And he describes the experience to her. And she tells him it's up to him to make the next move. Uh, yeah, and she runs. also says, but, you know, I shouldn't say anything. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you should figure it out for yourself. So uh, not her most helpful moment. Uh, he runs into Jordy uh, in the corridor, and Jordy's got his cat Spot. <laughs> and it's like, not Spot get out. Well, let's not worry about that either. <laughs> Uh, it's, I'm sure it's nothing. Well, Jordy says he's going to report it to security, but we all know what Worf is like. Yeah. He's going to ask Spot whether Spot has an alibi. Spot's going <laughs> to say no. And then Worf's going to go, well, Spot didn't do it. I, I know it's not Spot. That's a, he's a pretty good know. cat. I guess I'll think about it some more and get back to it later. Uh, while Jordy's there, he takes the opportunity to ask him about this relationship with Jenna DeSora. And boy, is that not helpful. Yeah. Well, Data should have known better. He should have known better, but it sends him on a little montage throughout the ship. Troy tells him he's got to be careful because he could hurt someone's feelings real bad and he don't have feelings, but he says he's been reading all the books, so he thinks he's ready. Mm-hmm. Uh, Worf gets weirdly protective of Jenna DeSora. I guess she works for him. Yeah, they're and doing a lot of work to tell us, this is a part of the crew. This person's been in the crew. They're a member yeah. of the crew and <laughs> everyone, everyone knows her. her. It's exactly. she's, a, she's really like sort of really in the fabric of what is going on on Enterprise. Yeah, so you know, Worf threatens Data if he doesn't have her back by eleven or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, Riker tells him to take a big cut 
and who cares if anyone gets hurt or like if anyone looks back on it and thinks was that rape or just anything like who cares about any of that you got to take your swings it literally tells her she knows what she's doing yeah yeah, he does okay does she know what she's doing does she know that data's software doesn't work yeah has she she ever seen data try to practice sneezing Did she she see him the time he had the beard? I just, I don't know if she knows what she's getting into, necessarily. Uh, Picard just uh, stops him cold because A, he's a virgin, and B, he's a misogynist. Um, (laughs) But I guess everybody on the fucking ship knows what he's up to now. Yep. Uh, Data brings Jenna some flowers, tells her he told less than 1% of the ship about them, and dims the lights. Mm. And although she initially doesn't like the idea is mildly offended by the idea of being a part of one of his bullshit humanity experiments mm-hmm. uh when he says oh no but you're a real big part though baby she uh she relents oh no baby you didn't understand what i was saying i was saying you're like less than one percent of this program you get what i'm saying they, they probably go to pound town but we never see anybody putting their boots back on in this whole fucking thing so who knows yeah i really wonder if they did I wonder. Oh, it's like the one thing we know he has experience with. Yeah, I just, um, she seems to like him and will definitely, definitely get into it. She seems to like him when he's kind of like a robot baby. Yeah. With lots of questions about how things work. She don't like him so much when he's a horny robot. Well, Picard finds his laptop sitting under his desk. Um, and even though Data's right there on the bridge, just like, the nearest, literally the nearest person to his ready room, uh-huh. he calls Worf in with a tricorder. Uh-huh. Uh, Worf says, no one seems to have touched it but Picard. It does a quick ocular pat-down of Picard's little private bathroom and then starts to overreact and suggest red alert or whatever. But he doesn't help Picard clean up. <laughs> he just walks out and then Picard gets down on his hands and knees and starts picking up his orange Lexan. I know exactly what happened. He was halfway out the door, thought, oh, no, I better help him clean up. And they went, oh, it'll be awkward if I turn around now. Yeah. I better just act like nothing's going on and keep walking. Kind of like uh, in that skit when, um, and I think you should leave when he says that this is one of the ones you pull. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> this one goes both ways. It goes both ways. I was here yesterday, and it goes both ways. Um. <laughs> Data is painting in his apartment when Jenna comes by with some acrylic art. She has a lot of unspoken expectations that he doesn't understand, so we get to do a 1950s gender play for a minute. Mm. And then as she leaves, a hole opens and closes in Data's wall. Nobody notices that either, though. No, the sensors are not helpful for this. No. Nothing, like, there aren't, like, 19 weird alarms going off, like, being like, hey, um... Uh, there keep being holes. There keeps there keeps being holes in the wall. No one seems to notice. Yeah. So we have this scene where nobody notices that this is happening, and in the immediate next scene, Picard gets called to the bridge because the whole fucking planet is missing. So I don't know if we really needed that one. <laughs> right. I'm just jumping ahead a little bit, I guess. Uh, while everyone is talking about why the sensors show that there's a planet there, but they fucking can't see it or whatever. It just reappears again. And then the observation lounge loses pressurization 
Mm-hmm. Um, and when they get it back, they go in there. Everything's piled up against one wall like it was blown there. But like the wall seems fine. Also, it seems anyway, like none of those chairs made it out. So like no. <laughs> the hole must not have been big enough for the chairs. No, it wasn't a big enough hole to swallow one of those chairs. No. Um, data defect detects the after effects of a subspace distortion. There doesn't seem to be one. It's real puzzling, but there's nah, no time for that. Data's got to go try on some sitcom seduction routine mm. in Jenna DeSora's apartment. It's really tough to watch. He even puts on a fake argument for her, mm. and um, it's not great. No, I really didn't like it, and I've seen a lot. I've seen this yeah. episode plenty of times, and I still <laughs> found myself instinctively looking away from the screen. It's not great when he starts yelling at her for no reason. Yeah. Uh, there's a little conference over at Science 2 about the anomalies, and uh, Picard decides, you know what, Let's maybe we don't need to stay here for now. And uh, as the Enterprise tries to leave, well, I guess they start hitting them more because uh, the ship starts taking damage. Mm-hmm. So they stop dead where they are. Uh, Lieutenant Van Mater becomes one with the corridor and dies. Yeah, she does. Uh, data shows a grab. Oh, go ahead. Look, like, almost nobody dies like this in TNG. Like, really, it's pretty rare for someone to just beef it. And she beefs it in kind of a bad way. And Jordy, is he with O'Brien? Who's he with? Uh, he is with... Whoever it is, Jordy and... Thorn, Ensign Thorn. Okay, Jordy and this other person just kind of slowly creep over to her and kneel down and look at her fucking disfigured fucking body. Yeah. And I just thought, oh man, they are taking this real calm. I would have been freaking out. <laughs> yeah. It's like halfway it's sticking not, out of the floor. It's not a good way to go. And she rips off a huge scream before she dies. So <laughs> yeah. like, they know it wasn't great, but they just kind of slowly walk over and go, huh? Look at that. What do you think of also, that? Also, uh, knowing that those things were everywhere, I would have been afraid I'd step into one of them. I get away from her. Yeah, I would not go close to that area particularly. Yeah. That's in the middle of the fucking ship. Yep. Eh, it doesn't matter. We won't talk. This is what they're they worried did... about, right? One of these is going to hit the warp core or something. I guess exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So now they're in the conference room, and Data shows a graphic of how the Enterprise is has been passing through these small gaps in normal space. It's caused by the dark matter in the nebula. Sure. The, the Enterprise. Enterprise can't, like, just go forward because it's too not maneuverable enough. By the time they detect them, it won't be there. So they're going to use a shuttle to essentially chart immediately ahead of them to pilot them out. And Picard is, uh, he's going to fly it himself because it's too dangerous. (laughs) They can't let anyone else, I don't know. It's not well explained. He just tells Riker to sit his ass down. This is his job. He just tells him, I have to do this. It's my ship, Will. It's my ship, Will, is what he says, and then we're off on this adventure, and I just went, hey, Picard was barely in this episode until now. What is this weird hero's turn that he's taking here? For sure. Well, his shuttle hits, like, the third or fourth one, and (laughs) things get hairy. The Enterprise takes a little bit of damage, but Picard has to zig and zag all around. His shuttle breaks up and explodes, but you know O'Brien pulled him out. Yeah. Uh, Riker's had enough of that and just makes a dead run for the perimeter of the nebula. And it's since they made it out, very Riker had... thing to do is just <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, you know what? Let's just go. <laughs> Let's not stop here. Think about what went wrong with that and how we can do it better. Just fucking gun it. Hey, just gun it and run it's it. A total panic move. <laughs> anyway, it works out, and they head off to Starbase Two Hundred and Sixty for repairs. Uh, Jenna comes by Data's apartment and breaks up with him, but he's going to be fine because he's just a damn robot. Matthew, what's this one about? Mm, 
Mm. Mm. Ben says, A relationship is based on the impact you have on the other person. How they feel. Not just going through the motions. He gives that a five. To me, okay. I would say, I mean, obviously. Yeah, I don't think I could score that that high, but <laughs> like, sure. Yeah, it's not just about going through the motions. Uh, I, I just have robots can't be in love. <laughs> I didn't know what else to say. He says he can't be in love, and then he tries, and he doesn't do very good, but he could care less when he fails. He does not care at all at the end of this episode. Yeah, this is not like... This is not at the end of The Offspring when he's like, I've got Lol's memories in here, including her memories of her feelings of me. So yeah. it's like, this has left a, this has left an impact on me. And yeah, or- I'm never, we're never going to talk about it because of the nature of this show. But you know, I'm still going to be thinking about it. Now, no, this isn't he's like just the like, way he all right, was- I'll delete my fancy program. This isn't like the way he was absolutely destroyed by Ishara Yar. No. <laughs> when she's like, yeah, I mean, I used you, you know. To get the things I want, and he acted like he was never gonna. He, I think he actually says in the episode he's never gonna dance again. Which yeah, I thought was fucking weird. <laughs> so it's well, a guilty feet. Guilty they feet have got no got rhythm. no rhythm. <laughs> and I thought this is all right. I don't really understand data anymore. Um, yeah, and this one he just goes so like we're not together anymore, and she's like, no, we're not. And he goes, okay, well, uh, I'll just delete these then, and just gives her a fucking serial killer stare. Yep. <laughs> Until she walks out of the room and then, dude, sits in the dark with his cat for what I assume is like six hours. Yeah, probably. Just staring ahead, thinking about robot stuff. <laughs> I was actually so creeped out by the ending. <laughs> it's not cool. Anyway, just a one, man. Just a hot one from me. Yeah. My take for this week is... uh Everyone thinks that they're special and they'll be okay doing something that they know going in is a mistake because mm. because they're they're me they're they're the protagonist of their story. This is Jenna Desora's story. Well, I mean, both Data and Jenna think this oh. is a pretty long shot relationship, and they fucking sure both try it. Yeah. Um, but also, Picard knows the man to pilot that shuttle should be Riker. <laughs> he should. I'm know. just saying, he should know that. You really should know. I didn't even... I just... I spent so much time talking over the rest of the episode trying to figure out out loud what was happening. (laughs) I didn't understand Picard in this episode at all. And then you told me he directed it. And then I was like, wait, so is he just like... Was he on set? And he just went, what what if Picard pilots the ship? And no one said no. (laughs) I don't know. No one said, I don't know, man. Do you want to be directing yourself during that sequence? Like I've done it before. I, I directed think, that Shakespeare nah. scene. No, no, that was All Picard. Right. Picard directed that Picard scene. Picard directed it. That wasn't you. <laughs> Picard was directing it, and you... And the, 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 you that was in that scene wasn't Picard. Do you, <laughs> under, do you understand what's happening? It's, it's just a simulation that looked like Captain Picard, but neither of them was Patrick Stewart. Is anybody taking this guy to the doctor lately? I don't know. He seems like he's... <laughs> He's got problems. Um, so listen, that's kind of a cynical take. I, I don't know what to do about it. Like, hey, maybe if you think something is a mistake, don't do it. <laughs> yep. That's a two. I'm giving it two. Yeah, this is... Um, and not just in take. You're about to flip around execution. This definitely felt like one of the weaker TNGs we've had so far. Yeah, I would say so. 
Uh, Ben's a two on execution, by the way. Okay. Uh, he liked that everyone said, I don't know, go ask somebody else. But Riker's like, no, 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 you, you got to fuck her. Yep. Yep. He thinks that the relationship doesn't hit. Um, it does seem he also thinks this lady just has a thing for robots. Uh, this lady's got all kinds of issues. And, but he also thinks that he that the writers identify with Data, and so this is kind of some kind of wish fulfillment on their part. And I also, when she started saying, like, why can't I ever fall for someone like you? I was like, got it, writers. I uh-huh. understand. Uh, and she tells him he's handsome, and, um, yeah, she talks about how no man has ever been nice to her. And I just thought to myself, I wonder if they let even one lady into the writer's room for this episode. <laughs> There's never been one, no. I just didn't feel like we got their take on it. No, there, there is one. I just, um, one of the, uh, I don't remember who now, but there's at least one lady in the writer's room for TNG. But I mean for uh, this for this piece. Of I don't know about this one. I don't know if she got her hands on this one at all. Yeah. Um, The B-plot sucks on ice. Yeah. Like, I supremely cooked a connection there just by saying Picard should have known better. <laughs> but, like, this B-plot about the fucking Dark Matter Nebula mystery doesn't teach Data anything about his relationship. His relationship doesn't help him solve the mystery. No one else learns anything. It's nothing. This is a weird thing that happened in space, and poor Helga Van Mater was killed. Yeah, for sure. Did she um, have a ship in your fleet? Yeah, there, there is a ship named okay. the Helga Van Mater. Hold on. Good, R.I.P. She deserves she deserves that honor because she died in a way that nobody should have to. It is a Cardassian Gamor class Intel flight deck cruiser. Well, I mean, Cardi's not great, but I guess the rest of it sounds pretty cool. It's actually not a bad ship. Okay. It's a flight deck cruiser, so it has uh, some little fighters. Uh, it has shuttles, yeah, fighters. Nice. Um. This is Patrick Stewart's directorial debut. Is that why Picard's flying the shuttle? <laughs> he couldn't take an offspring style backseat and focus on directing. Apparently. Show up not. in one scene. No, because before this, the only thing he's in is a couple of staff meetings where they're telling him about the big holes. And like you said, there's a scene where his laptop's on the ground. And I guess there's a scene where he doesn't want to talk to Data. But he's not like. Yep. He's not a big player in this episode until that moment when he's like, everyone out of the way. Everybody clear out. I'm going to dribble for 21 seconds, then I'm going to take a desperation three. Like, what, so, what is he doing? <laughs> <laughs> so here's, here's my question. What's good about this episode? <laughs> yeah, sometimes that is the best way to approach it. And I think the only thing good about this episode is that horrifying lady stuck in the floor. <laughs> because it's so off-putting? Because you see and you go, yeah, oh, fuck, that truly sucks. is off-putting. Yeah. And I guess maybe, like you said, Data sitting in the dark. God, that made me feel... I was so creeped out when that episode <laughs> ended. Um, it's a two for me in execution. Yeah. Um, There's just nothing good to say about it. It's not a good one at all. They couldn't have slow-burned this lady or like pulled out a recurring character of some kind. I just, I don't care about this lady, and I know the whole time I'm watching the episode, she's going to be gone next week. Yeah. I don't give a crap about this. Oh, not only that, but it's like, we're never going to see the torpedo room again. (laughs) No, this is the blue room all over again. That's gone. Yeah, it's gone. That already was already on fire by the time they were shooting the last scene. (laughs) Um... 
okay, here's one. I thought of one thing that I could say that was complimentary about it. Do you remember the episode where Picard has that piano lady on the side? Yeah. And the stakes immediately turn into her life? Yes. I'm glad this story doesn't get bigger than can date a date. Because I don't want them to immediately be like, and then Jenna DeSora has to fly the shuttle. Or right. what? Or like something where suddenly Data has to, I don't know, do some romance or some chivalry or anything like that. Yeah, there's a fucked out version where she's the person flying the shuttle and the shuttle blows up or whatever. Yeah, like her and Riker go in the shuttle and the panel blows up on Riker and he's unconscious and she's got to bring it home. And Data's got to talk her through it. Fuck, I'm yeah. making myself sick right now. <laughs> so, you know, it didn't do that. No. Now, the downside of that one good point is the two plots really have nothing to do with each other. No, all. and the, not only that, but the second plot is also doesn't have anything to do with anything. Yep, it's totally nothing. I couldn't even pay attention to it. It was a typical Star Trek anomaly that for the first 35 minutes will only affect objects. Yes. Like, it's just dropped hypos and pads on the floor. Yeah, it fucking doesn't start with someone going into the floor. It always happens. I, there's always like, oh, the fruit got weird. And it's like, <laughs> yep. well, you know... Those are the breaks. It's outer space. Sometimes it's your fruit's so, going to go bad. It's such a, f- a hack trick, too. It's so that the characters can be like, well, that's nothing. Well, we go, no, it's you should be paid. They wouldn't have showed it to us if it was nothing. Yeah. Well, it's even worse than that because it starts with that hypo on the ground, which on the perfect USS Enterprise actually blows Crusher's mind. <laughs> she looks at that hypo spray like, who the fuck? did this she doesn't think it's an anomaly she thinks some piece some barkley piece of shit walked through here with their fucking uss crazy horse attitude and dropped a hypo spray on the ground dog she's about to call ogawa in and say did you touch my hypo spray (laughs) you touched my shit again didn't you no i I know better than to touch any of your stuff i swear (laughs) no i wouldn't i would never Uh, the one time i did it that was an accident i told you about that i said Please don't make me under submit to a brain scan. I just started sleeping better through the night. Can you? I just please don't blame this on me. <laughs> she her mind is blown when she sees the hypo on the ground. Which again, in real life, you'd go, oh, "What the hell I got there?" But she's like, there, "What I, the?" It fuck? feels like there's about fifteen episodes of TNG where something very mildly odd happens and Doctor Crusher's on it like a fucking bull <laughs> bulldog. Yes. Yep. So I mean, clues like there's no episode of clues if she doesn't show up. Like, hey, my fucking this experience. moss is weird, and I want to know what you're gonna do about it. <laughs> That's right. Picard's so annoyed, but he has to do what she says. <laughs> yeah, or you it. know, remember me, etc. It's like uh-huh. uh, the, the one where she loses her fucking job because she won't let something go. Oh uh, yeah, it's uh, um, lessons. That's not it. Um, suspicions. It suspicions. Yeah. Well, anyway, it doesn't matter. Um, but it's like, you're absolutely right. There's no way that in an, uh, a regular episode of Star Trek, Dr. Crusher picks up that hypospring huh, <laughs> and puts it back down. In this one, she does not suspect anomalies. She thinks someone definitely fucked up, though. Yeah. Um, yeah, I agree. A two feels about right for this stinker. Well, what about... <laughs> <laughs> nothing else what about world building um i guess you did think of the one the, the one, one thing sort of good thing about it, about it. yeah that the the, the, the the b plot didn't become about data or janitor um yeah that it's not like the episode lessons lessons 
<laughs> That's why it was in my head. Uh, ben gave it a two for world building. He asks if the chick is allowed to kiss her commander. Seems like that's against some regulation. Fucking not it's, on this it's ship. It's extremely clear that it's not. On this First ship, of you all, can do anything. will bang anybody of any rank. Uh-huh. Um, Even ambassadors and shit. Including civilians and ambassadors. <laughs> he doesn't care. <laughs> you know he got wet and wild with whatever in it. Tapout. What was her name? What was the name of the fake, fake Vulcan? Oh, good question. I have forgotten. I don't remember, but you know he got fucking wild with her when she was on board. I was going to say Salar, but that's not Dr. Salar, but you know he's banged Dr. Salar. Oh, for sure. 100%. He's got that big Susie Plaxton energy, if nothing else. What I like about Riker is he doesn't even have him transferred off the ship afterward like Kirk would. Nope. He's yeah, just... Kirk would definitely. <laughs> he just keeps him around. Do you remember that fucking episode of TOS where McCoy sends the lady he banged at the Christmas uh-huh. party on the away team to embarrass him? Yeah, there's a, could be only one reason to do it. It was totally the big dog, <laughs> his buddy, Jim. I don't know if he thought it was a like, I'm, I'm really crossing the lines with this cool prank or if he was like, <laughs> fuck Jim Kirk. This is, the, just, this is I want to put a snake in his bed, but we don't have any on board, so this is what I'm doing. It's so fucking wild, like, until we get to that episode lessons, it's as if it's no one even considers it maybe a bad idea. No. Like, no one even thinks it's unwise. Even in this episode, uh, Worf's like, all right, don't hurt her feelings, because she, I guess she works for me, She's and that makes her my surrogate daughter. Me. Yeah. Uh, or maybe he's picking up her extremely mousy nervous energy. But, uh, but like, even Picard, Picard and Riker, like, Riker's like, of course, you gotta, uh, I heard she likes it with her face in the pillow so she can yell as loud as she wants to. <laughs> I was to. gonna go a different one. I was gonna say she does it both ways, but. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, we were both Picard is like, Picard has no problem. He just doesn't want to talk about women. Yeah. I mean, remember, O'Connor comes on board and he's like, I don't care. You can fuck every member of the crew. You can fuck a wharf. What do I care? <laughs> Who gives a shit? Fuck O'Brien. Yeah, Who cares? I don't give a fuck at all. Just, uh, you know, be cool. <laughs> just be cool is all I'm saying. I just want you to be cool for one minute. Yeah. So it, it is, it's very clear. I mean, it is world building that yep. in the Federation, they just don't care. I, I don't know if humanity has evolved in yes. some way or there's, uh, but whatever it is, they, they got no sexual harassment rules. Well, I guess I'll just pull this out of my quick hitters real quick. Um, Marjan got it in her head that Jeff Arton is a, a an abuser. <laughs> and I said to her, that's impossible because this is TNG and there hasn't been an abuser in like 200 years. Yeah, if there were still abusers, there'd be rules. Yeah. There's this guy, Jeff Arden is a piece of shit. Everyone seems to know on the entire ship that Jeff Arden is a piece of shit. Jordy, when Data says, I'm talking about, I'm thinking about like getting together with Jenna Desura, Jordy goes, well, she's going through a really rough breakup. <laughs> Everyone knows Jeff Arton is shit, but everyone also knows he didn't lay a hand on her. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Also, um, at the end, uh, and I, I'm going to say here that Jenna DeSora's insight is probably wrong because she seems like she doesn't understand her own emotions at all. Right. But at the end, she says, I just keep going from one emotionally unavailable guy to another. And it's like, when Data's listing all the reasons she's not supposed to keep seeing him, mm. that ain't one of them. No. <laughs> no. No, she's like, he's like, it's the little things. You hate the way he slurps his soup. And at no point is it like, <sighs> you said he's cold and robot. I don't know, whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, 
anyway, so it was a two for Ben. I agree with two. It sounds about right. You got this dark matter nebula, Mara Oscura, or whatever it's called. And whatever's happening with these weird pockets in space, I don't know. Uh, we have another traditional European music in concert and 10 forward. <laughs> Do they play anything else on Enterprise? Or is it all your European favorites from the fucking 16th through 19th centuries? Boy, it sure never is what we would call world music, is it? No, it's always the whitest old white guys. I don't know. I mean, Jordy briefly put on some Latin music, but it was too it was too uh, brown, so he had to go back to just some Spanish guitar. Yeah, and even that sounded like maybe it was somebody's appropriation version of Latin music. <laughs> um, Data's dating subroutines and shit. Um, he uses contractions when he's doing his little play act. Yep. Which, why can't if he can learn to do it? Why can't he just learn to do it? But anyway, I mean, if he can write it into his subroutine, he should just write it into his regular subroutines that he can use them. It's fine. It'll help everyone detect lore, I guess. Yep. Um. Yeah. <laughs> just a two for me. I couldn't really think of much else. I couldn't even give it a two. It's a one for me. Okay. Um, from Keiko's little story, we've got that there's a cleaning processor. That's where your socks are supposed to go. Not just right into the replicator? They're not just, you don't just put them in the replicator with your dirty plates. Um, dark matter nebulae, gaps in normal space. Um, but in this episode, they fucking really lose track of time and distance. Okay. Uh, I'll pull one up from my quick hitters because at one point they were... They had started going to this M-class planet. At one point, they were 11 hours away. Okay. But at point one impulse, it took them three harrowing minutes to escape the nebula. <laughs> the nebula was tiny. Yeah. I guess it's a, a super tiny nebula, and B, they started from really far away. <laughs> like, they must have entered... Uh, nah, that can't be true either, because we know they were already hitting those gaps in normal space. But you know what I mean. It's like... yeah. That's not is it fault. 11 hours at full impulse to reach the planet, or is it three minutes at point one impulse? Wait, so that's the funny thing about dark matter. The dark, the dark matter warps the space. Yeah. So yeah someone yeah, in yeah. the back of the writer's room would say that. Well, you know, I can't not hear shit like that. Also, don't forget, they head to uh, Starbase 260 at warp 2. Just in case you were wondering if it was an emergency to get back there and um, get that woman out of the floor. No, and by the way... What's that? Do they just you know they just put process? up a couple of cones at each end of that corridor too? What's that process look like? God, she's I mean, in the floor. They're they're cutting a section out yeah. for sure. You cut that section out, but she's never getting un. No, 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 no. no. There, there. I mean, you might cut real close to her body. Yeah, but, to, she's, but she's getting buried with a big piece of floor. Yeah, as part of her. She's part floor forever. Yeah, that was tough. Uh. <laughs> So it's just a one for me for world building. It's it's no one even acts like anything that they discover in this fucking dark matter is going to be nebula is going to be important. No, once Riker punches it and gets out of that thing, they're never going to think about it again. Yeah. Hey, by the time this is like season seven or like generations or whatever, when you're walking around Enterprise, is it just like one one hundred and forty thousand discrete extra welds? everywhere for all the little sections that they've had to fucking f 
pull out entirely and put back and repair and shit. Like, does it look like a regular ship or does it look like somebody's absolute fucking mess? Boy, there sure have been a lot of gaps, uh, in normal space and, uh, micro viruses and, uh, fucking Borg cutting beams, Borg and- cutting beams and weird goopy acids. And, <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, fucking Krieger waves Krieger and waves, uh, burning holes and everything. And you're 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 right. Like there can't be a part of that ship that looks like it did when they got it. I, I mean, all of the external panels clip in and out, so like they can clearly just replace those. But like behind those panels, all of the weird holes and shit that have been burned and blown out into the walls, they must be like you said, a lot of patchwork welding. Yeah, it must be the ugliest fucking shit by the time Troy crashes it into that planet. <laughs> Yeah. It's a, it's a good thought. Well, uh, Ben's a four on characterization. Okay. Keiko plays the clarinet. It's mostly about Data's romance. And the question, why does Picard suddenly feel like he's the best pilot for the job? Um, It's my ship, Will. Yeah. Okay. All right. Uh... This week, Data definitely doesn't have emotions. Yep. Right? Yep. Yeah, he goes like hard a lot this of, week. A lot of times, they really fucking flirt with it. And you, of course, mentioned uh, Ishara Yar. Uh-huh. I don't know why I can never remember the name of that episode. That one's Legacy? Legacy, yeah. Um, but this week, he for sure doesn't. I mean, he uses contractions when he's reading a sitcom script. I don't care about that. Yeah. But, like, his heart isn't broken or anything. Nope, the opposite. Yeah, so that's how they're playing him this week. Uh, they gave Riker a bunch of techno babble to say, even though Jordy's in this one. I don't know why. I kept expecting I guess someone was going to correct him, and then I would get to call him a team player again. I, I almost think that at this point in the filming of the show, they have forgotten that there's an engineering station on the bridge and that they can just put Jordy there. Yeah, these days he only walks up there if they had to close the little door in engineering. Yeah, that's basically it. Otherwise, he maybe stays he fucking down. hates. Maybe he hates being up there because he knows Riker's gonna pitch a bunch of nonsense. <laughs> he's gonna have to, and he's gonna have to tell him. Well, it's probably not that. He's gonna wait till everyone leaves the room, and he's gonna. I'm surprised he even suggested it, like he did with Data that one time. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> this week, <laughs> that one was. That one was great. <laughs> Data said that thing that could never have been true and everyone in the room knew it couldn't, but still <laughs> asked Jordy. Just sent him on a little mission. Yeah, hey, why don't and, you go? And everyone hang back. Why'd you go? Hey, they, hey, you remember Wesley was working on that project? Why'd you go work on that? And then they all look at Jordy like, hey, look, we all know this is bullshit. But can you please confirm by saying this is bullshit? And he goes, yeah, this is fucking bullshit. <laughs> yeah, that was, that was wild. <laughs> um, no one has good advice for Data. And because they have him ask every individual person once and not check in yep. at any point, it doesn't seem like anyone is interested in helping him. No. Um, I- the feeling I got when he walked into 10 forward is that Guinan was very bored. <laughs> and was, even she didn't engage. He was willing to like have the conversation, but then went, I don't care about this. <laughs> yeah. Uh, like there's a better version of this episode where, Data's only getting advice from Jordy or Guinan, but he's checking in multiple times throughout it and, like, course correcting. Yeah, so they can tell him he's being stupid. 
Yeah, well, no, that's all wasted. He's just on his own and doing a real bad job. Um, and finally, we learned in Cupid that Picard has no respect for Riker, but now it's also pretty clear he thinks he's a better pilot than Riker, too. <laughs> he's so dumb. I must be better than him at this. He's very dumb. Yeah. Uh, just a three for me on characterization. I don't think there's much good going on this week. Yeah, it's a lot of bad. Um, Data is a relationship meddler like he has been with O'Brien and Keiko. Now he says, what he says in this one is that he has no human feelings. Is that his yep. <laughs> new workaround? That he does definitely have feelings, they're just not human ones. It's a good question. Uh, then I wrote here, Data software sucks. He just opens his mouth like he has something to say, but then he doesn't. His mouth just hangs open. And I thought, wow, why is that programmed into him? <laughs> to, to do the thing where you're say, you're gonna say something and you open your mouth, but then nothing comes out for a while. Uh, well, just know. a bunch of gibberish. Like we always say, Soong was a hardware guy for sure. Oh, definitely. Um, sex data is the worst. After he started, you didn't like, like seduction tone data. No, I needed a fucking shower after that. That was awful. Um, all the stuff about contractions. And then I already talked about it, but again, he asks if they're still dating, and the lady says, no, we're not. And Data looks at her like a serial killer. And flatly says, I will delete the appropriate programs then. The lady is rocked. And (laughs) walks out, leaving Data, I swear to God, to sit Uh, in the dark. She fucking immediately requests a transfer to the victory or the hood or something. Even this, look... I have so many things to say about her character in Quick Hitters. She is damaged goods 100%. And even she was like, nah, this is a new low. This is the worst. <laughs> Do you know what? I want to thank you, Data. I think I finally hit rock bottom. <laughs> and I, he legit sits in the dark, holding spot, staring ahead. And we get like a six seconds of that before the episode fades out. And I just thought, oh, he's just going to sit there. He's just doing what Data does. He just sits in the dark and, like, I don't know, thinks about stuff. The prom queen, probably. It was real Buffalo Bill shit. I was, I was freaked out. Um, Guinan again, so bored. She decides to help the robot with his shit, but then even she knows this doesn't matter. But the room is empty, so what else is she gonna do? Uh, Worf now says Klingons conquer what they desire. Yeah, I really liked love poetry Worf better. Yeah, what happened to all that nice stuff he told Wesley? And then he felt the need to threaten Data about Jenna DeSora. Uh, Picard the Virgin tells Data to leave him alone. (laughs) Then he makes a baffling sacrifice or something to fly the shuttle. But then he says he thinks it gives him the best chance, but he doesn't say why. Yeah, I'm going to give it a two. Look, I, don't, I, I don't know what to say about I'm it. I'm going to give it a two, I think. <laughs> I was going to give it a three, but I just... I didn't like any of that. No. No, there was not much to like. Um, I can do quick hitters. Yes, please. Ben says, so cool that the only other significant Asian character, Garrett Wong, has to play the clarinet, too. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's true. 
And he says O'Brien's a lieutenant here. Yeah, they never really got O'Brien's pips right on TNG. No, no, no. They they didn't think about it. Chief was clearly just meant to be transporter chief. Yep. Yeah. Then he went to DS9 and they went, oh, so he's a chief petty officer, right? Wait a minute. No, because when, when Worf's dad shows up, don't they talk about yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but then that's already happened. Okay. So, but but he does continue to wear Lieutenant Pips every time we see him. So weird. All right. Uh, I don't know how old this actress is who played Jenna Desora, but when my head was down looking at my notes, she sounded like an old lady. <laughs> she had an old lady voice. That's a good question. This lady said a man has never been nice to her. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yikes. Uh, even in the real basic way that Data's nice. Like, and you were talking earlier about Worf, like, you know she's not just saying this to Data, she probably says this to everyone. She probably says this shit around Worf all the time, so Worf's like, ah, oh, she's really a mess. Oh, God, like, this one's, you gotta watch out for her, she's a mess. So when Data starts dating her, he's like, hey, look, man. Yeah, you would imagine that people are like, she's a nice lady, but I wouldn't go and get involved. Yeah. Uh... She was born in 55, and this aired in 91. No way. She was either 25 or 26? 55. I think you're 10 years young on that. Oh, okay, good. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, she was 35 or 36, depending on the exact birthday. I had my mind blown. I thought it was that Twitter account about footballers from the 80s. (laughs) Where the 19-year-olds look like they're 100. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> for a while it was my favorite account to follow um all God, right. this episode was only 91 i know so, uh, some real well that explains a lot of stuff that's going on in this episode do you suppose this lady's seeing troy uh so number one she ought to be yeah she ought to be would it explain why troy can't say anything specific to data but does seem to think this might not this might be too advanced for him because <laughs> um like she's there are some there are some confidentiality rules like mccoy was following when the blind lady came on board right um that prevent her from going into detail but she thinks data should uh sit this one out maybe wait for the next one to come <laughs> along because uh-huh. i just thought if she's not she better start because well, like you said, the thing where she's like, no, Data, we're not dating anymore. And he's like, <clears throat> all right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm cool. Good. That's good with me. <laughs> that should send her right to Counselor Troy. You know how much painting I've been doing this week? Not enough. So that's fine with me. He, If he had just gotten up and started taking down the curtains and shit that he put <laughs> in the room, do you think that's better or worse? Just throws that sculpture she got him into the trash <laughs> fucking pail. <laughs> just puts it right in the cleaning processor. <laughs> And then asks if she needs anything. Need anything? Like a fucking Skyrim NPC. Um, anyway, then she kisses him at work in front of the computer, the nanites. And everybody. Fucking Moriarty and everybody. <laughs> How can you do that? Doesn't she know? <sighs> Later, it seems like she really wants to, like, teach him how to boyfriend. Like, fucking groom him? Yeah, she's gonna fix him. This lady's all over the place. And she gets mad at his weird personality he puts on, which is fair. But it's because she wants a robot baby instead. She does tell him that she... I mean, she doesn't come right out and say, 
uh, I actually liked the robot version better. Yeah. But it is kind of it is kind of the subtext of what she tells him. Uh, this is my favorite spot. <clears throat> oh, hate, this Somali cat? Yeah, I hate the I hate regular old tabby spot. Yeah. He's boring. This cat's got flair. A little bit. Again, seems like everybody knows Jeff Harden is trash. I guess <laughs> nothing bad enough that it like goes on his record. Just a real Chief Engineer Logan situation. <laughs> uh, um, is Jeff Harden a civilian or a crew member? I don't know. They don't say much about him other than they broke up. She didn't like specific things about him. And even Jordy is like, oh, man. The uh, the USS Jeff Arton is an Atlas class dreadnought cruiser. In case you were <laughs> oh, that guy got a good one. <laughs> At one point, I went through the Memory Alpha list of these minor characters. Right, um, and he does have am, a first and last name. So I am fucking out of names now. So well, he should be demoted. <clears throat> you should reduce him two steps in rank. He should be fucking name of a runabout or something. Now the runabouts are named. Uh, Luton and Robert Fox and <laughs> Jana Haynes. I don't remember who Jana Haynes. I don't is. remember who she is. The other two do kind of also deserve runabouts, though. Yeah, the shuttles I were I named for I started naming for non Starfleet personnel: Tam Elbrin, oh, okay. uh, Riva Kaczynski. Oh, those are good ones. Luton, and then I kind of ran out. I mean, Robert Fox is Federation, at least. Yeah, that guy's got a wild collar. That's what I remember about that guy. <laughs> That guy, you, that guy wouldn't even bother to say it's a regular caller. He knows. Um, and then the thing I told Marjan about how there hasn't been an abuser in 200 years. That's it. What about you? <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, Jenna DeSora wearing the season three high collar uniform here. Okay. In season four. They did her better than putting her in the season one or two jumpsuits. Um, but this thing definitely does not fit her. It's like, uh, it's real baggy around her little feet at the bottom. <laughs> I don't know whose uniform this was originally. O'Brien's or, or Jordy's or Data's or something. Yep. Fucking Starfleet just shooting torpedoes into somebody else's nebula. Like, who cares? Well, it came back to bite them in this one. I don't know if it had to do with the torpedoes, but they did get bit. Okay, so this is an episode where Data doesn't have emotions, right? Not but human he was, feelings. He was definitely trying to tell a joke when he piped up with, and a very good job I did of it, too, right? I don't imagine what else that would have done. What? How else could it have? What else could it have been? Yeah, he's fucking she. she first of all, I, I can't believe I didn't put this anywhere in my notes. She is like, I see what Keiko's doing with O'Brien. I'm gonna do that with Data. I'm gonna put my arm around his the way Keiko's doing with O'Brien, and I'm gonna tell a dumb story about how he tried to clean out my quarters, like just just like a story that Keiko and O'Brien would talk about. And then he does yeah. chime in with his dumb joke. I, did, okay, so she kisses him in the torpedo bay. Mm-hmm. She must have given him 800 signs before that, right? Because, yeah. like, he's been in her quarters a bunch. She has been in his quarters a ton, apparently, because she always tells him they're too Spartan. Yeah, she just drops by, probably. Yeah. So, like, there was a bunch of stuff where she was flirting with him and getting frustrated, right? Uh-huh. Yeah, I mean, that you we, can even That we didn't see. I think you can see it in the beginning of this episode, even, where she's yeah. clearly flirting with him and, um, you know, bouncing off his fucking 
What's his head made out of? Dolomite? That doesn't sound right. <laughs> it's, pro- it's probably... I mean, his skull is made of duranium and cortonite, right? Thank you. <laughs> his spinal column. That's why he's so good at the Bahat Ghoul. He's very good at the Bahat Ghoul. Uh, here's how we know that Starfleet has absolutely no rules against fraternization, even with direct reports. Because when she kisses him, he doesn't rip him off. Like, he doesn't list all of them. Nope. In fact, he doesn't like if, do much. It's impossible that there's a regulation against what she what's going on here, and he just doesn't say it. He doesn't... That's not data. That couldn't possibly be the case. So there just must not be any. And I think you must be right. It's because there just hasn't been an abuser in 200 years. Yep, they're just like... No oh. one has done a sexual harassment in 200 years as Everyone's far as Starfleet's pretty cool, concerned. Even when their power is totally unequal. Everyone's just pretty chill. <laughs> When when Janice Rand was like, I wasn't going to tell anybody, the Starfleet already didn't have any rules, I assume. No, but I mean, boy, it seems like they should have still in that era. Yeah, but they've just been ignoring him, I guess. I wasn't going to tell anybody. You were the captain and everything. Yeah. <laughs> uh, how many drafts into this script do you think had... Guinan make a joke after Data says a very passionate kiss in the torpedo bay. <laughs> do you think that like do you think that it survived ten jokes where Guinan said? Is that what they're calling it these days? <laughs> Before they were eventually like, this is a Star Trek, we can't do we're that. We're not gonna do any of those. We're we're cutting all of those. Yeah. Yeah. So at this point in the episode where I wrote this note. We are supposed to believe that Data has somehow picked up this horny speech pattern from somewhere. Yeah. Like he's learned this routine, but he doesn't know better than to tell her you remain as aesthetically pleasing as the day we first met. It's very bad. It's so Star Trek. It's awful. He, yes, he, he is a slime ball who also uses data language. It's, it's not it doesn't, great. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Hey, Data wears one outfit at all times for all occasions. Yep. And that's his uniform. What the fuck does he mean by, I have found that grouping apparel first by function, then by color from light to dark, etc. Yeah. Helps you select the desired outfit. Well, He doesn't have casual clothes. What does it mean? There were a lot of scenes that don't make it into any of the shows where he keeps dropping by Tasha Yar's quarters afterwards because he thinks thinks they must be dating. (laughs) And he's rearranging her closet and shit. (laughs) And she's like, well, you know, I told everyone, you know, I told you no one was ever to know about this. I'm afraid you're going to give it away if you keep coming to my quarters. Like, Yeah, this is like in in Haven after the. <laughs> yes, <laughs> right. Yes, about well, Riker's getting one. fucking sassed on the holodeck. He's putting all of her colorful scarves in order. All the shit that she thinks she, Troy would look good in. So she got them and then she doesn't really like how she looks on them. And- yeah. You always wear uh, such beautiful clothes, God season one. Yeah, that's rough. Uh, so anyway, I don't know what that's supposed to mean when Data says it. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, Picard loves flying the ship in these life or death scenarios. He takes the helm and booby trap. And in that one, he even did like um, like a cool maneuver. Yeah, he fucking did a gravity slingshot or some nonsense. Even Data didn't understand what he did because Data is not very good. Uh, like I said, at one point they were 11 hours from this planet, but at point one impulse it took them three harrowing minutes to backtrack. Best actor this week is Worf. 
Okay. Worst actor's data. I mean, he was in it a lot, and that's a bad sign. <sighs> also a bad sign. We took 55 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, sorry. I guess it's not actually getting any shorter. Oh, boy, I was right. It uh, We do just naturally talk for two and a half to three hours about Star Trek. Okay, well, we better move on. <laughs> <laughs> All right, second place last week was Voyager. Yeah. This week we watched Once Upon a Time. Good, the Wildman baby is back. Looks like she's yeah. still hanging out in the Great Forest or whatever Neelix called it. Isn't that doesn't that look like the exact same set? I really thought it was until it uh, till we, it turns out that this is Sesame Street in yeah. the future. One minute after I wrote that, uh, a cool friend of hers pops up, some kind of water monster. His name yeah. is Flotter. Flotter T. Water the Third. Uh huh. I hope it won't matter, though. I was wrong when I wrote that. Anyway, <laughs> there's a tree monster. His name's Trevis. I hate doing this. She learns that Trevis isn't a monster at all. He's just a cool tree who provides shade or whatever. Neelix calls and tells her it's time for bed. I guess he's... She, uh, she learns about symbiosis here. Yes, that the tree guy shades later, the water. So the water later, gets- Shmolus will teach her about symbiosis also explicitly. Uh-huh. This, this episode's not about Sim. It doesn't come up. <laughs> it's it's wild that the right. opening scene is her discovering the idea of symbiosis by settling this fight between the water monster and the tree monster. Uh-huh. And that uh, Shmolus is teaching her about mitochondria and uses the word symbiosis to explain how everybody benefits from it. Yeah. And then it's just not what it's about. No, not at all. I don't know how that would solve the problem this week because... Nope. <laughs> Neelix is watching her because the mom, Samantha... Is off. Did we know her name before this episode? I, I can't don't know even if remember. we knew it, but it turns out it's Samantha. <laughs> anyway, uh, she's away on a shuttle mission or whatever. She calls and says she'll be back in a few days. Um, and when Naomi goes to bed, this lady tells Neelix that the shuttle was damaged by an ion storm. So. And there's more coming. Yeah. On the shuttle are Wildman, Tuvok, and TP. They get hit by another ion storm as we go to credits. <clears throat> Voyager senior staff tries to come up with a plan to track down the damaged shuttle. Janeway says uh, they'll just fly through the ion storms because who cares? Yep. Neelix suggests that nobody tell Naomi that her mom is in danger. Neelix, who's done murders and all kinds of shit, was a... Uh, didn't he do a murder on that episode where he was afraid he was going kick to kick off the ship, him and his old buddy? Uh, it seemed like murder is in his background, for sure. Anyway, he's got a lot of bad impulses. Um, Listen, he lived through a genocide, so it's like in Grand Theft Auto 4. <laughs> it's a Nico you know, Bellic like, situation? He's a, he's a, yeah, he's kind of a Nico Bellic. Okay. Well, anyway, it's like if Nico Bellic was watching the kid and Nico Bellic says that we shouldn't tell her. Yeah, because she's real sensitive. In the mess hall, Naomi tells Seven to sit somewhere away from her. And then she asks Neelix to reprogram Schmollis. And she generally seems like a shitty kid. <laughs> TP and company crash land the shuttle on some planetoid or something. And Naomi's mom gets her bell rung. I think that's still the terminology they used in the 90s. <laughs> TP called her Sam, so now I know her name. Um, 
Voyager tracks the shuttle to the right crater and they begin a search operation. Neelix takes Naomi to the holodeck. He avoids telling her about his dead sisters just barely. Yeah. But then the holo program gets really scary and her friend Flotter eats it. <laughs> and Neelix has no clue how to handle this. He just says, let's just turn this off and never come back. Yeah. Uh, he didn't. Apparently, all people in the Federation grew up with these chodes. Yep. But because uh, even Janeway did, but uh, Neelix didn't, so he doesn't know that this is supposed to be a fucking lesson about mm-hmm. how about the water cycle or something. Yeah, because when he gets cools down, then he's gonna turn back into water because he's vapor right now or something. Yeah. So you know, he just he just says, "Okay, enough of this." Well, that was really scary, and we're never gonna look at this again. And then he has Harry design a flutter doll for Naomi, and they talk about how lucky Naomi is to grow up on a starship. Despite this, all the by day. the way, this is the thing that makes the least sense to me. Fucking Flotter and Trevis and the Ogre of Fire and all these assholes are. Uh, and there's another one that I think Janeway mentions are. Mm well-known and beloved characters for at least, I'm going to say, three generations Seems like in the it. Federation. Yeah. There's no Flotter doll? Yeah, they have to design one. Harry Kim's got to whip one up? Not only that, dude, I keep having to say this. In the first episode of TNG, they really make it seem like the holodeck is a yeah. brand new, fantastic invention. And yeah. Now Janeway was playing with these fuckers when she was a kid? Yeah, my assumption is that she probably just had a fucking Oculus Rift on. Okay. And that it was hella, hella polygons and it sucked. <laughs> probably. But it, it was all cool to her. Probably true. Um. Uh, anyway, yeah, so they talk about how lucky Naomi is to grow up on a starship despite all the danger they get into every week. And Naomi asks Neelix, what's up with her dang mom? And he's not super reassuring. Then he goes to look at his dead sister, Florida. And <laughs> we're talking like 20 feet from this girl he just put to bed. and Who is for sure not asleep yet and can definitely be. hear him. Can't be. It's been six seconds. And he says out loud. <laughs> not, not only has it been six seconds, but he didn't turn the lights off. No. She is sitting under an array of 10 fluorescent tubes immediately above her face. Door wide open. In the adjoining room, he says, she may lose her mother. Yep. Okay, wild. Anyway, Neelix has a dream memory about his planet's destruction. And then he goes to see if Seven has made any progress finding the shuttle. Yeah, he wasn't there. He didn't actually see his family get vaped, right? Because... He was away. I think that's the whole deal. I think it would have been... would have been real yeah he was a something like that i think it would have been real weird if the he happened if he happened to be five feet from his family and that's where the metreon cascade stopped (laughs) that's my kind of luck right there (laughs) i'd be i guess one foot away i'd be safe um it's like when Riker doesn't get got by the crystalline entity yes when it just fucking zaps its way through that field or whatever and eats up what's her name eats her good yum 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 um (laughs) We'll get to that one. (laughs) Then he visits Janeway. Janeway tells him he's going to have to tell the kid what's happening. And he kind of blows up at her. Then in her ready room, he explains that he lost his family and it fucked up his whole life. 
But he does agree to tell Naomi in the morning. He should tell her, I did I did a bunch of fucked up shit after that. I killed a guy. I dated a one-year-old. You remember that? God, that was fucking weird. It was weird as hell. She told super me weird she that was anyone one. trust me with their kid. It was really weird. She kept saying she was one. But over and over again, she told me she was one years old and she was only ever going to be eight. But I was into it and everyone was okay with it. It was really weird. Back in the shuttle, uh, things aren't going any better. Several other people on the ship developed feelings for her. By the time she was two, everyone had the hots for her. Yeah. Uh, Wildman's down about possibly leaving her kid without a mother, but Tuvok gives her some comforting words. Naomi wakes up and goes to see Neelix on the bridge. She gets there and overhears some of the rescue stuff, and I guess understands that her mom is in trouble. She tricks Neelix into thinking she went to her quarters, but really she went back to the holodeck. I guess to save Flotter. Yes. Seven and Chaco find the shuttle, but they can't detect any life signs yet. And in the shuttle, TP records his farewell letter for Balana, and then he wakes up Sam to record hers. I guess the ticking clock this whole time is that they're going to run out of air under all yeah. that rock or whatever, and the shuttle's broken. Uh, Neelix, Neelix finds Naomi on the holodeck. Flutter and Trevis talk about murdering Neelix for being a liar. And yep, then... so she went in there and started snitching. <laughs> yep. And then Neelix gets to chat with Naomi, and he finally tells her all about his dead family. She teaches him that avoiding <laughs> the truth hasn't made him feel better. <laughs> then big ion storms show up to hinder the rescue mission, but... Just in time, Voyager transports the entire Delta Flyer into the shuttle bay, and Voyager escapes the ion storm. Naomi's reunited with her mother, and they everyone goes to the holodeck for a new adventure. Janeway drops by even, and they all reminisce about the old adventures with Flotter. That's it. Yeah, the end. What was this one about? <sighs> okay. Um, well, it's about... Well, okay, so Ben says shared trauma is a bond. Um, sure. He gives it a two. That doesn't impress him. Uh, I don't think that's the take because Neelix and What's-Her-Name are pretty pretty heavily bonded already. Yeah, this ain't uh, caving she's with part, dinosaurs or whatever. She's a part of his religion already. So <laughs> that's like, right. Um, but what I think this one is about <laughs> is... You can't protect children, or I guess anyone, from the truth. <laughs> okay. I think the episode gets a little confused, because it's almost saying something about Neelix trying to protect himself from the past. Yep. And there's also some discussion about whether children should be out there at all, and like, I don't know what the equivalent of that would be, like, don't, don't take your children with you to... <laughs> The walk, inner city? What are we doing? Walk the beat? I don't understand. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but this is where I landed. Like, you can't protect people from from the truth. Like, mm. as you said, she teaches him that <sighs> pretending that his family wasn't killed doesn't do him any goddamn good. Yeah. I mean, it's weird that she had to teach him that, but she did. It's an okay take. It's uh, it's a, I mean, it's a little specific if you really think about like, is this an episode for teaching you how to raise children? But uh, there's nothing inherently wrong. It's not a dumpster take. Sure. I gave it, uh, you know, I gave it five points. Yeah, I, I was close. I said uh, 
avoiding the truth doesn't make it any easier to cope. You know, it's, it's similar to the ones we've had in the past where it's about the, uh, the wonderful lie or the terrible truth or whatever, however we normally phrase it. Right. <clears throat> Something like that. Uh, and I thought, man, they made this one so fucking easy that I gave this average take an extra point and it's six points. Yeah. Um, well, they did make it easy for you because she Neelix does have to learn it from a small child. It's it's very bad. They, no one he doesn't learn Neelix it from Janeway. Anything. He learns it from the small child. Hey, you think there's a reason he can't keep a job on that ship? He's fucking yeah. worthless. <laughs> His great idea is to never tell the kid, even if it takes 15 years, that her mom's dead. <laughs> Just every night, just going, nah, I saw she's going to be back tomorrow, though, I swear. Anytime now. This lady's going to uh, be a fucking lieutenant in Starfleet. He's going to be like, nah, she's she's almost back, though. Just be be patient. Uh, Ben's a one. One of the things he points for execution, one of the things he points out is that they don't know where the planet is, but it's right there. <laughs> you can see like, it. At some point, they identify it. It's 73 million kilometers away. And when they said that, I said, that's too close. That's really close. And... Like, it'd be pretty obvious. And sure enough, it's like they just, like he says, they bank slightly and then they can see it. Um, uh, but he, so he's a one in execution, but how did it strike you? Is it great that Neelix has so little idea about what's happening in his own head that everybody else has to tell him everything the whole time? <laughs> no, it is not great. But was this an episode about one thing and they carefully considered how people in different <laughs> situations would handle it in a semi-realistic way? Sure. That's so far above what Voyager is normally capable of. I'm actually sort of astonished. Yeah. Still? Shows about... This is, by the way, Voyager has been improving lately. Um, they fucking better! Well, it had nowhere... It had really had nowhere to go, but yeah. like... Uh, well, the averages are so difficult to tell because the average changes so little. But if you look at the uh, at the three app, five app, Voyager is up above its historical position. Well, good for that. Or at least it's up above where it was since about the middle of season two. Well, like we said, there's going to be a lot less competition. They might be able to steal some wins if they can just like not do Voyager stuff anymore. But yeah, it feels like they just. Didn't do a Voyager this one. Yeah, it's um, it's I don't like shows about kids. Kids kind of suck on TV. Um, and this kid was in it a fuck ton, so that's not great. But um, yeah, I gave it a five. Thought it was fine. Uh, well, it's a five for me also. Um, my biggest criticism of this episode is that all of the action on board the Delta Flyer is unnecessary. Yeah, I don't care about any of that. It doesn't matter that Samantha Wildman is injured. No one on Voyager knows she's injured. It isn't a factor in any of the decision making. It's just for us. It's like so we can worry about Yeah. What if Neelix is gonna have to tell her that her kid's dead at some point. But like Yeah. Yeah. I don't that know. is information that is hidden from the rest of the cast and is only for us. Is it like was the point to like to kind of humanize Tuvok? I don't know what the point was. Yeah, it gives Tuvok his best scene in a long time, but like that's it. Yep. Um the holodeck stories are dumb. But this was made in the 90s before people knew that there could be, like, an adventure time coming for children. So, mm -hmm. children's entertainment. Children's entertainment was real dumb in the 90s, and I'm not surprised that this is dumb. Yeah, yeah. I mean, also Voyager's pretty dumb. So, it would have been hard for yeah. them to accidentally create a good show within <laughs> their bad a better, show. a better version of the show within the show. Yeah. <laughs> I guess that's true. Um, Neelix's backstory is a little confused. Fuck yeah. Like, clearly it's... a 
big part of why he's pushing so hard to keep her in the dark. But what happened to him is not a very strong parallel to what she's going through. No. Like his family, his whole family was killed in a horrific war crime during a huge war that, as you said, he was hiding from. Yeah, a real Jatrell happened out there. Her mom has been out of contact for a couple of days. <laughs> yeah. It's an extremely different scenario. Not to Neelix. So not introducing that kind of just kind of confuses the issue. It just kind of is not. It's not well done. I think while he was yelling at Janeway so loud, he was spitting everywhere. He was like, not to me. It's the same to me. That's the same thing. <laughs> what Jatrell did and what that Ion Storm did are the same thing. Um, but those criticisms aside, this one didn't suck eggs. Uh, so I gave it a five. World building. Uh, Ben's a two. Um, he says uh, mitochondrial symbiosis within cells is real scientific theory and holograms are the new uh, Barney. Yeah. Um, yeah uh, so Sesame Street of the future phaser drills. This is kind of not a world building episode. Does it matter that Voyager can is not worried about a class five ion storm, but has to flee before a class eight one? Yeah, it's an escalation. That's not interesting. No, it's not. Um, I guess it's fun that they've already fucking crashed the Delta Flyer. Yeah, they only built one of those. They better be careful. Yeah. Well, they built it two episodes ago, so. Uh, yeah, I'm <laughs> saying they lose shuttles it. all the time, and they don't seem to care about that. But they, yeah. this is a special one. They should be careful. Uh, it's not a world-building episode. I only gave it one point. They almost never do world-building, and it's very frustrating, because they're on the other side of the galaxy, and they could do some the- cool stuff. I mean, the show from its premise is not well suited to world building in the idea that they should theoretically be just constantly leaving the people they meet behind as they race back home. I guess that's true. But oh, but it is an opportunity to show us a lot of different life in the universe or whatever. Um, but but they do not deliver on the uh, even somewhat limited potential to do world building most of the time. No. No, I got the same stuff. Kids programs on the holodeck, not just sex ones. Um, yeah. <laughs> they keep med kits all stocked up in a cargo bay. I don't really know how med kits work. But I guess they don't expire. I guess they don't expire and maybe you can't just replicate them. I don't know. Or maybe they have a stockpile because you can only replicate them so fast or you might have problems with the replicators and med kits are important. I don't know. I guess in this episode, that was the thing I wanted most to have answered. <laughs> to learn about how do these work what's the deal uh don't try to land on a planet with either a benamite or bemanite uh mantle they <laughs> said both ways so i don't <laughs> i don't know what they meant to say yeah it's uh it's too soft and spongy and your ship might sink in yeah you'll fall like three kilometers beneath the surface yeah Schmaldus. it is a class m planet though i guess they got super lucky on that one as always that there was yeah there's one always one right there hiding nearby Sometimes it disappears and then it reappears. Sometimes you can't find it, but it's right there. Um, Schmalis is the ship's science teacher. Uh, Starfleet regulations about checking in with home base every 24 hours. This Flotter franchise is fucking popular. Yeah, but apparently unmerchandised in the the economic utopia of the future because they got to make that homemade doll. We're almost there, man. We're getting there. I don't know if you saw that Wall Street business today. We're gonna. Is there an, in that in the last episode when they get home? Does Harry Kim get sued by Disney for making that unauthorized flutter doll? 
They'll find out. Those fuckers will know. Some fucking signal is on its way back to the Alpha Quadrant right now. It's just a matter of when they'll receive it. Uh, yeah, I had it as a two. I think I'm going to give it a two. All right. Um, characterization. Well, that just just leaves Voyager strength characterization. Actually, yeah. I always make that joke. What is Voyager strength? Uh, they don't premise. have any. <laughs> premise is their highest scoring one. They are fifth in premise, however. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Their best score, their last place on that. Yeah. Uh, ben gave it a one. He really hated this episode. Um, he says the whole thing stinks of mild psychological abuse of the kid and that unreality is not good, he says. Um, yeah, I mean, Neelix says the whole time he's trying to do stuff for the kid, but it's, he's clearly just got a problem in his head. Um, Naomi Wildman accurately describes space as battles with aliens and spatial anomalies. That's <laughs> At least in Star Trek. So I was like, yeah, that sounds about right. Um, she's afraid of Seven. Neelix implies that this kid may have some special emotional needs, but she seems pretty on the ball to me. Yeah. He says something about how sensitive she is, and I wondered what they were trying to say. Is she on the spectrum or something? But, like... Doesn't seem like she it. She seemed fine. I don't know. Um, Neelix never seems worried about his frenemies, TP and Mr. Vulcan. Just Samantha no. Wildman. It's, in fact, it's a real Munez Muniz Muniz situation. <laughs> How no one gives a shit. We'll get to it, but no one gives a shit in that episode about the other four people that die. They only care about that guy. Yep. Um, Neelix's worries seem, and I know this is going to be hard to believe, um, but they're about his own shit. Yeah. And about but don't how, worry, he doesn't know that. He's not aware, he's not he's not clued in yet on that. He lost his family and it ruined his life in some way. That he doesn't I mean, I guess we know how he all the all the smuggler stuff. Um Janeway and the kid have to explain it to him. Um Harry and Janeway both had the same programs as Naomi when they were kids. Seven barely remembers her family and thinks about them infrequently. It's probably best for her because they were weirdos. Yeah. As you said, Tuvok wasn't garbage in this one. He was very nice to this lady and comforted her when she was down. And I said, hey, look at that. Yep. <laughs> Tuvok didn't suck. <laughs> he didn't tell her she should run laps and then she won't, she won't be focusing so much on the negative emotions or whatever. Um, yeah, I had it as a five. I'm going to give it a four. Neelix should really know more about his own life. And <laughs> He's not a fully realized character, it turns out. Um, For me, Janeway is in the tough love camp, but also she presumably has some experience with children in Starfleet, so I don't know if it's part of her personality or like standard Starfleet wisdom Mm -hmm. that you just can't keep this shit from kids. Uh, It feels like Troy and, uh, you know, the one where uh, Captain Patches or whatever. No, that's not that one. Booby trap, no. Um, Yes? Uh, No. No, you're thinking that because Marla Astor bites Dies it, in the a bonding. booby trap. The bonding, yes, that's right. The blue room is what it's called. The blue room. <laughs> uh, so that all seems consistent. Uh, Neelix uh, does some good acting in this one. Like, his desperation and helplessness come through pretty good, but I'm less convinced that this episode is revealing of his character. Agreed. Uh, like, I guess he's just learning to be a parent. I don't know about giving points for little Ni- Naomi Wildman. Are we going to see her again? 
I don't know. She's been in it twice now. I guess she they has just, been in it twice. The episode twice. just opened on her. Yeah, we're just it like, did. oh, I guess. They really did expect us to know. Who, I mean, it did and it didn't expect us to know who she is, but. I guess uh, we're, just in it. we're just in it with yeah. her now. Tuvok gets to offer some comfort from a position of logic, and it's like, oh, Vulcans could always be like this if people were thoughtful about writing them. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that's good. I'm gonna go with you. I think it's a four. Yeah. yeah uh, quick ones. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Did Ben write any? He never does. He says he took very few notes and called it a feast pile. <laughs> Um, yeah, thank God they said both parts of Naomi Wildman in the cold open, because I didn't want to have to look it up. Uh, when they go back in and the narration is just Majel Barrett's voice, why Why doesn't this story have its own narrator? Seriously, it doesn't Why have... is it the robotic-ass computer? It doesn't Once have... upon a time. It's fucking such as Sean Bean or fucking Leonard Nimoy or... Um... Yeah. What's another? Oh, what's the name of the guy? Uh, uh, Stephen Fry doesn't have anybody. No, it should be Stephen Fry. That would have been perfect. Yeah. No one knew who Stephen Fry was when this episode aired, but it would have been perfect. <laughs> how about, I, mean, we, um, I mean, we knew. How about Avery Brooks? How about him? <laughs> that would have been fun. He did those nature documentaries. He'd be good at it. Um, water evaporates is clever for a little girl. But Neelix is a real dumb shit if the idea hadn't occurred to him that that was the whole point of this. <laughs> yeah, it's not just his own emotions he's not on the ball about in this one. It's sort of all, all things. Best actor, Naomi Wildman. Worst actor, Flotter T. Water Third. Ouch. Even worse than Trevis, my friend. Damn, the kid got best actor. Okay. It's rare, but um, who else deserved it? Seven and Nine had one scene this week. Yeah, I mean, I only have one quick hitter, and it's why is Ethan Phillips acting so hard in this episode? It doesn't it's rise to that level. It's a good question. He Everything really puts wrong! a lot into it. It's like, <laughs> all right. This episode is not, I think, as important as you've been told. By the It is producers. as if he thought this was an episode about Neelix's tortured past. <laughs> like that was He read the script, and that was his take. <laughs> he really went for it, though, and the, those scenes with Janeway, he's fucking going for it. Yeah. He chews it up pretty good. He really picards it. All right. Well, that one went quicker. All right. It did go quicker. Uh, last week's winner was Deep Space Nine. This week we watched The Ship. Ben's pick of the week. All right, this is Hi, this is Ben Town, your remote Star Trek edition correspondent with my pick of the week. Pick of the week. Same old shit. Cisco took a runabout and is checking on some fucking planet in the Gamma Quadrant to set up uh-huh. a mining operation. Yeah, Starfleet wants to do some mining in the Gamma Quadrant. In the Gamma Quadrant. And they set s- up a permanent mining installation in the Gamma Quadrant. And they sent most of the senior staff on a runabout. Okay, well... Uh, O'Brien and some... Apparently, they're th- don't worry, they're three weeks from the nearest Dominion outpost. Three weeks at what speed? Good question. <laughs> I guess they've got a pretty good grasp of how fast the Dominion ships can go, huh? Because that's 
a very long time. Yeah, especially imagine getting there in a runabout. Uh, because they run into them all the time. And I don't remember yeah. them going for three weeks in. But it's Park. weird how they run into them everywhere they think they aren't. Yes, including. Like they have spoiler very alert. bad information about that. This week as well. Uh, O'Brien and some young dude. Muniz. Muniz. We've seen Munez. this guy like three times already. Have we seen him a bunch? Well, his name yeah. is pronounced ev- different by every character. He was the guy who was trying to uh, teach O'Brien how to use a wrench again after oh, he was in the mind prison. You're right. Yeah. No, this is a... They brought back a recurring character for this one. Well, then it's even less excusable they don't know how to pronounce his name. I still don't know what the right way is. <laughs> it is tricky. Uh. Anyway, the young guy has lines and wit and jokes and stuff, so I'm sure nothing bad's going to happen to him today. Yeah, they do a lot of joking about being an officer or being an enlisted man or whatever. I imagine if you're an enlisted man, you do. Pro- that's probably your primary joke. I think it is the kind of shit that they like to say, yeah. Uh, Cisco brought, again, most of his senior staff on this thing. Worf and Dax are here, too. Um, suddenly, a ship crashes not far away. So they use the runabout to beam to the crash site. And, man, it's a fucking Jem'Hadar warship, and it's all, like, turned over on its fucking top and it's half buried and it's on fire credits yeah it turns out on the bottom they look like uh the entrance to a ziggurat for some reason yeah and then you have to go up there and say kirk to enterprise to get it to open but (laughs) rather than like go grab the defiant or something it's a wild coincidence (laughs) cisco and company just like just board the ship yeah and they find some dead as hell jemhadar but that's about it um they want to take the fucking ship back with them, but the runabout won't have the juice to tractor it, so they're going to need the Defiant. Um, meanwhile, back on DS9, Bashir and Quark are in trouble for some kind of smuggling thing. This does not matter at all. This is Little League. End of B-plot! <laughs> this is Little League, and it's done now. It's one scene! I wish they'd it's said wild. it. It's wild! I wish they'd they said, we're done now! Kira has to run off on the Defiant <laughs> at the end of this scene. We never see her show up on the Defiant. We do not. Yeah, Kara takes the, takes the Defiant into the wormhole to go find Cisco. Back on planet Torga 4. They have buried the Jem'Hadar. Not that the Jem'Hadar will care about that. And the runabout's destroyed in orbit by some new Jem'Hadar who uh, warp in. A strike team beams down and attacks Cisco's team who retreat inside the crashed ship. A couple of Starfleet officers are hit by weapons fire, including O'Brien's buddy. Muniz. Muniz. <laughs> Moonies. <laughs> Did you have you settled on one? Um, I w- I will say this: it's very unclear. Okay. Uh, the uh, that's not the, super helpful, but okay. The name that is a name in the twentieth century is Munez. Okay. Um, however, all of this uh, in all of the scripts there is, there is no there are no accents anywhere in the name, okay. so it. There, the memory alpha page. If you go to the talk section for Munez, it's mostly a discussion about what his fucking name. Is. <laughs> Good, it should be. I every time I was like, "Come on, somebody say it the same way twice." I would love to know what his name is. Um. Anyway, one of the people who ate it outside, they had the damn med kit. So, and as you know, they get they only got a couple of those. They got to <laughs> replicate them. So they're fucked. Well- well, they can't replicate one on this crashed upside nah. down Jem'Hadar ship. If it has a replicator, they can't even get the power on it. Don't matter. Um, the Jem'Hadar stops short of following Cisco inside the ship. 
uh, a Vorta lady contacts Cisco and they agree to meet face to face and chat. The lady Vorta is all pushed up tits and flirting. And she uses the meeting as a way to sneak a Jem'Hadar on board the crash ship. Anyway, Cisco says, salvage rights in a variety of annoying voices and refuses to hand the ship back over. <laughs> it's like every time she tries to talk, he just cuts her off with salvage rights. Um, the Jem'Hadar plants some kind of sensor or something, and then he attacks O'Brien and Dax. But um, a wounded Mooniz blasts the guy. This is going to fuck me up every time. Just call him Enrique. There you go. Yeah. Uh, Cisco and Worf retreat back into the ship when they realize they got duped. Um, given how weird the Vorta and the Jem'Hadar are being about this ship, they suspect it's a special ship for some reason. O'Brien plays nurse for Enrique, who is definitely going to die soon, but O'Brien keeps telling him he's going to be fine. It's a real Neelix situation. Yeah. Uh, Worf tells O'Brien he should just let him prepare for death. Just tell him he's going to die, and they get shouty with one another, and Dax breaks him up. And then Cisco goes and meets the Vorta again, but they still can't come to an agreement. The lady again makes it seem like an attack is imminent, but just starts making a bunch of loud noises out there. They really don't want to, like, accidentally damage something on this ship. Right. So the crew finally goes to search for whatever is so special about this ship. Uh, Enrique gets real hallucinatory. Um, Dax and Worf are starting to lose their nerve too. O'Brien and Worf get into it about Enrique one more time, and it even gets physical, and Cisco has to break them up. Uh, they get the ship's power grid online and try to take off, but all that does is shake the shit out of the thing. And then they just gotta wait for 36 hours for the Defiant to arrive anyway. Oh, and Enrique's dead. Yeah. Everyone's real sad about Enrique and not any of the other crew who died on the planet or in orbit. Yep, um, Cisco is down five people at this point. But they only talk about that guy. As Cisco and Dax are chatting, a shapeshifter falls down from the ceiling. It uh, can't hold its shape, and it's dying, and it turns into some nasty old dust, and the crew prepares for an assault, because I guess they figure these fuckers going to know the important thing is dead. But the Vorta beams in and says her Jem'Hadar all killed themselves out of shame or something. Because they couldn't save the changeling. So, um, Cisco takes the ship home with him, and I guess she keeps some of the ashes? Seems like a good trade. Cisco and Dax talk about their dead friends, specifically one of them. And they wonder if the cost was too high for this ship. Um... Worf Jones O'Brien to keep watch over the body of Enrique, and again, only Enrique and. What was this one about? Well, no, let's start with Ben. He says war makes sacrifices necessary, but not easier. Okay. Uh, it sure feels like when Cisco says this could have all been avoided if we had just trusted each other, mm-hmm. that they mean for that to be the message. I almost had that. <clears throat> but it's real hard for me to see how anyone would have played this any other way. It's tough. Uh, maybe the message is something like the very concept of enemies is harmful to everyone. Like the idea that there are people that you can't trust sure. is harmful. I don't know what to do with it, frankly. I only gave it three points. Okay. Um. Yeah, I, I, I think I ended up with doing the cisco thing i said without trust there can be no peace it's extremely basic 
and also welcome to the aughts. We got there a few years early, but we made it. And also, do we remember in In the Flesh when we learned this same lesson when Janeway was the f- one who made the first move? <laughs> yes, when they had, peace? To, they had to wrap up the episode in four minutes and she made the uh-huh. move. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah, all these fuckers would still be alive if they trusted each other or whatever Cisco said in his almost crying voice. Um, you know, his dramatic voice. I know the one very well. We could have avoided all of this. Um, I gave it a five. It's basic down the middle stuff. What about execution? Uh, Ben gave it a four. Um, I pulled out, is this the first real casualties of the Dominion War that are personal to our crew? Because he mentions that galaxy class that got blown up, but everyone thought that captain kind of sucked, and I don't know if they knew any of the other people, but... Uh, everyone was very broken up about Enrique. Yeah. For reasons. Well, he let them call him by a nickname, so... <laughs> and, you know, he called O'Brien Hefe and all that good stuff. Um, I said, why don't the Jem'Hadar beam Cisco's crew out? Uh-huh. Why don't I beam them out of the ship? They can clearly beam into the ship. They can't beam well, people it, out of the ship? They they don't beam into the ship. It doesn't... It seems like they can only beam into the ship when that hatch is open. These ships are pretty good, then. Because that ship yeah. has no power on This is not a force field deal. Because they don't sneak that cloaked-ass Jem'Hadar in there until Cisco's standing out there and Worf's standing by the open hatch. But what about when the Vorta beams in in the end? Does the hatch open? That's the problem with it. Okay, because it seems like she just appears there. And I just thought, like, why don't they just... They just take them out, and then it don't matter. They can beam them into space or something. It doesn't make any difference. Yep. Um, I like at least that the crew understands there's something happening in this ship. They won't blow up the ship for some reason. They're trying not to damage something on the ship. Because, like, otherwise he would have no leverage in this situation. So at least he figures out there's something special about the ship, but he never figures out what it is. I guess their scanners still aren't good at detecting changelings pretending to be other stuff. No. Because that one just fucking clumps down from the ceiling right in front of them. By the way, how pissed off are you if you're that changeling? Those fuckers walk right into that corridor where you are and you're like, oh, come on. I got exactly 11 seconds left and you're going to fucking... Oh, man, why now? You're going to stand right here? Okay, great. Um, I don't know if this is the first entry into the war is hell genre on DS9. Oh, hand wringing about what is the cost, etc., etc., etc. But this is basically the tone of the show yeah. until the end. Everyone buckle in. This is going to be it. Get used to it. We'll be trying to slice that thinner and thinner on premise, I'm sure. Oh, by the 19th time this comes up, I'm going to be giving it yeah. like two points. <laughs> um, Worf is pure suck now. It's just nothing remains of TNG season one, Worf. Yeah. Worf is a real turd in this episode. Okay. I think you understand, Worf, why he doesn't want to tell his friend to his face that he's going to die. You don't have to pretend like you don't understand it and talk about how Klingons do it. You're not... You just... You've met, like, a bunch of Klingons now, and now you think you're a for-real expert. But Also, at this point, do you remember that Starfleet is your only home, and that's going to have to be good enough? So maybe... <laughs> Stop spouting off That's about right. how the great Klingons do everything. Yeah, stop telling us you prefer Klingon beliefs. Fuck. Yeah. Um, just a four for me. Uh, I'm even one behind you here. I'm a three. Okay. Uh, 
so right away, I don't like the idea that the Federation is looking to exploit planets in the Gamma Quadrant for mineral resources. It's such an insane... Again, we've talked about this. Their strategy can only be they're, they're trying to thumb their nose at the Dominion. They're just hoping well, they can, like, scare them away by be, with all this bravado or something. So that for sure, but it's like, hey, we've there's this hostile, really far away space that we can only access through one choke point. Do they got any good shit there we could take? <laughs> we've, but we also we should set up shop permanently. Yeah, if we can. It feels ugly. Like, uh, like every time Quark has something bad to say about the Federation, I'm or Eddington, I'm kind of at this point, I'm kind of like, well, it seems like it. Yes, I will get. That gives them points when they do those conversations because it's like, I mean. It's not wrong. <laughs> not wrong about it. Um, this upside down ship they're in has a lot less impact than it would if it were a ship we were familiar with. Yeah, I didn't recognize it. Because we don't know what it's supposed to look like right side up. And so, like, it's, they're just like in an alien ship. The fact that there's a couple of control panels hanging down from the ceiling. It's not spooky. Was that legit so that the they could just have the scene where the Jamadar falls from the ceiling? I don't know. And scares O'Brien or whatever. Yeah, I don't know. I assume someone saw something cool like that in a submarine movie and they just stole it, but it wasn't referenced in Memory Alpha. Um, the atmosphere inside the ship gets tense, but it's not clear that being cooped up in there has anything to do with it. It just seems to be about Worf's attitude about the dying uh, Munias. Yeah, and, and then later about the um, the very quiet detonations going on outside. Mm-hmm. The detonations that are much less... Uh, noisy than like the neighbors who are sometimes above me right (laughs) so i didn't really understand why they were driven mad by that yeah it doesn't seem like the constant shelling is driving them mad Mm -hmm. um finally the jemhadar all kill themselves immediately after the founder dies i don't know how they knew it had happened or why they don't want revenge or anything that's right they just gotta all gotta eat a gun about it you think you'd get the revenge and then maybe off yourself but nah. yeah right away um, but the ultimate insult in this episode is the one scene of B plot on the station. <laughs> the little league. Who who cares about any of it? The little league of it all is so great on DS Nine. It's just uh, Quark has a thing in his contract that he's in every episode. Yeah, and Odo and they found a way to put Odo, Bashir, and Kira in there. And Keiko doesn't even have that clause. So she oh, and Jake, no. they don't get mentioned. But yeah. No Garrick. Uh, but it's just, it's insulting. Like, the episode is better without it. Just take it out. I agree. It does, doesn't tell us anything. What do we need to know? That they, that the Defiant, or the Deep Space Nine got the message and the Defiance on the way? We see this all the time. This is DS9's whole deal. Like, when they went to the Earth in the past or whatever, and in the beginning of that episode, Quark calls them to tell them <laughs> something. I don't even remember what. And he's just on the view screen, and you're like, is this going to matter? And of course it's not going to matter. He wants to, uh, doesn't he want Cisco to the Grand help, Nagus. Help do some favor for him yeah, or something? Yeah, the Grand shit. Nagus asked him to talk to Cisco about something. I don't remember. Yeah. But he's just like, his face is all just up on the screen. And you're like, what is this? Is this anything? And then the two-parter goes by and you go, no, that wasn't anything. Uh, Ben's a two for world building. He asks if Hoya is a benzonite because <laughs> where are her breathing tubes? <laughs> Maybe that's the difference between benzites and benzonites. Yeah. Uh, He's right, though. It did look like a Benzite without the tubes. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, I thought it was, too. Um, For me, world building, the Federation needs Cormeline, I guess. Um, 
Ooh, uh, Enrique Munoz mentions transporter burns. I really wanted to know what that meant and was. Yeah, the transporter has already done so many bad things that we've seen. I, I hate that they're inventing things off screen that it does like you too. could just get a you could just get the equivalent of a rug burn from them too. <laughs> yep. Yeah, I'm uh, sorry to come in, Doc. I know you're busy. I just uh, just transported back up from the planet. I got these wicked transporter burns. <laughs> um, the Jem'Hadar weapon causes uh, causes some kind of extra bleeding or something. Mm-hmm. Um. There's some stuff in here about a sort of like overly paranoid security structure where only the Vorta and the Jem'Hadar first even have access to like a view screen. Yeah. Uh, the fact that they kill themselves uh, uh, when they get this shit, when this shameful thing happens. So there's like an interesting look again at the uh, Vorta and the Jem'Hadar and not a lot else, but that's enough to give me the three. Yeah. By the way, we've seen the Jem'Hadar to this point be pretty roguish. Yeah, and that's like, true. I mean, I'm not saying the paranoia is unwarranted because we've seen five Jem'Hadar rebellions at this point already. Yeah, but my point about that was I just find it hard to believe they'd all just kill themselves. You oh, know, yeah, that too. They seem to kind of just do whatever they want. It's like the programming's not that good necessarily. Yeah, and and like they the Jem'Hadar say to the humans from time to time, like you guys think we're just like weird machines that just do whatever we're told, but like you know, we got cares. <laughs> anyway, yeah. So yeah, both of those things. Um, I agreed it was a three. I've got uh, Torga four in the Gamma Quadrant. Inertial dampener failures do kill everyone on board, despite the fact that Star Trek usually just shows it being very shaky when it happens. <laughs> I guess it depends on what happens after it fails. Yeah. More descriptions of ill-fitting uniforms. Enrique is mad because this is his good uniform. The other ones are uncomfortable. What's happening? Just replicate. Yeah, that doesn't make any sense. Uh, I guess he's not putting them in the... I guess he's putting them in the cleaning processor and not in the replicator. That's right. Uh, they talk about the layout of the Jem'Hadar bridge, like you said. Uh, Jem'Hadar weapons make you bleed out. I My memory is that they keep that, and that in the future, that'll be a point of continuity, that, that that's what the Jem'Hadar weapons do. Um, This ship has some kind of turret. O- yeah. O'Brien repairs it, but then he can't swing it around or anything. So. It's not Chekhov's turret. I don't think we ever see it fired. Nope. I think that point where he's like, well, you can't, you have to shoot something right in front of you. And then I'm like, okay, so they're going to end up up in space, maybe, or. Yeah, they're doing cool, but no. No. (laughs) By the way, that means they probably should have looked into that before they spent time repairing it. Well, that A, (laughs) but also it's just like 30 seconds that you could cut from the episode. Uh Uh-huh. That Klingon ritual where you stand over, uh, stand watch over a comrade's body until the spirit joins Stovacor or whatever. Um, Which is weird, because uh, it seems like immediately after those Klingons in Heart of Glory die, that guy's like, I don't care. Yeah, they're just chills. Wash their body right down the toilet. You can Who do anything you want with them. You can pee in their mouth. What do I care? <laughs> um, seems like they've backtracked on that a little. Also, nobody stands watch over Kalar's body. He just runs off to do a murder. Yeah. Anyway, well, I guess maybe the kid does. He is told to look upon it and never forget. Or always remember? Anyway. Um. Yeah, so just a three for me characterization i think this is where ben gave it the big points he gave it a six yeah uh we should say it's ben's pick of the week it's only a 17 for him 
Yeah, I mean, I also felt it was kind of an underwhelming week. His his scores are often high, but yeah, this week is not. Uh, we'll get to the totals, but this week's not generating big, uh, big home runs. No, uh, he says O'Brien's a sweetheart boss. And that kind of makes sense because he's like not an officer, so he probably feels like he wants to separate his behavior from uh, the uptight crew. Uh, he says the crew gets... He also hates his home life, so he probably wants to make as many work friends as possible. <laughs> Someone to play darts with and have a beer or whatever. Yeah. The crew gets pretty rattled, which is unusual in Star Trek. Yeah, they got very rattled in this episode. Um, and then he says, why is this loss so much worse than any of the other ones for Cisco or O'Brien? Like... They just seem totally crushed, but it's for sure too short of an episode to establish this guy. Like you said, he's been in a couple other ones, but not like in a big way. No. Enough that he had a name already, but really not much else. Yeah. Um, I was lower. I was a four. Um, O'Brien does get to play friendly mentor to Enrique in this one. He tries to keep his spirits up the whole time, and he butts heads with Worf, and he wants to tell the guy the Worf wants to tell the guy the truth about his condition, and then they even come to blows. And in the end, they seem friendly again, kind of like after that off-screen brawl they had. <laughs> they were cool again. Uh, Cisco's dead set on taking the ship, but once the runabout's blown up, he doesn't have much choice but to hold on to it until the Defiant gets there. Then he wrings his hands melodramatically about the cost of the mission. I actually think Dax getting shut down by Cisco on board the Jem'Hadar ship does something for her character. It means mm-hmm. people around her see her as a constant jokester. And like in this case, her instinct is inappropriate, but she can't help herself. That's like an actual character trait. Yeah. When he says that, I don't know if you noticed, but nobody's laughing or whatever. <clears throat> um, but for me, Worf drops this score. He, like, rides O'Brien about being too nice to his dying friend for no reason other than boredom, maybe? See, a lot of time it looks like Worf's <laughs> looking around for something to do. Yeah, it's not like... Like, there's one thing where Cisco tells O'Brien he needs him to be doing something else and mm-hmm. he'll look after uh, Munoz. But, like, other than that, it doesn't seem like Worf's irritated that O'Brien's spending too much time yeah. taking care of him or anything. Yeah, so I don't know why he's all mad about it, but he is. And then he gets all rattled by the explosion noises that are... Again, if we are hearing them correctly, a mild nuisance. Right. And he tears that console out of the wall like a big ol' oaf. And everyone's like, great, what what do you want me to do with this console you just fucking destroyed? It's just a bad look for your boy. Not his week. He hasn't had many weeks here on Deep Space Nine, has he? (laughs) No, we only get shit wharf on DS9. So just a four. Uh... O'Brien runs his mouth a lot this week about being an enlisted man. Most of the time, it doesn't seem like there's any real distinction. Sure. Uh, he also hauls off and hits Worf for at least the second time in the last year. <laughs> uh-huh. I know Cisco isn't going to do anything about it now in the middle of this, but c- come on, man. This guy's got a problem. Of course he has a problem. You've seen what he does to the bartender. Yeah. He's in a bad yeah. mood. Just goes in and fucking strong arms the bartender, puts hands on him and shit. Uh, Cisco beats himself up about the five crewmen he lost, but as soon as that Jem'Hadar ship blasted his runabout, he I don't feel like he ever really had any other options. That's what I'm saying. That's what I and, said earlier. Like, once that happens, all he can do is hide in that ship. Yeah, so it kind of makes me not... It makes me wonder what we're doing with this whole episode at that point. Yeah. Like, he's not... He hasn't... 
his decisions didn't cost. It doesn't matter. Yep. Uh, finally, someone's had enough of Dax's sarcasm. But you're right. Worf just sucks now. <laughs> and um, for me, the whole thing was a three in terms of characterization. Okay. Quick I suppose one. you'd like a few quick hitters. Yes, if you if you have any. Uh, well, Ben didn't, but I have just a few. Uh, hear me out. What if we did some mining on the other side of the wormhole? <laughs> it's so wild. I'm um, not even like, I don't even freak out anymore. Like I used to freak out. Like, I can't believe they're doing this again. Now it's like, we're in the gamma quadrant. We're trying to find out if this place is a good fucking planet to mine. And I just went, uh-huh. <laughs> I know. Uh, I heard that. I heard that uh, just five uh, light years inside the Dominion border, there was a planet that had really good ravioli. So <laughs> that's next. That's on the list. You know, I had to run out there and try it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Whatever we said last week about Mordok and Mendon goes for this lady as well. Uh, yeah. I guess at this point there could be an incident on a runabout, but she doesn't even have a harmonica, so... Maybe there are enough of them hanging out at Starfleet that they figured out another way to do the breathing. Do they got the man invented some pills or something that they yeah. take or whatever? Yeah, either that or I like the new theory that I came up with today, that Benzonites that are she's a Benzonite. Benzonites. Yeah, that's yeah. right. <laughs> they look almost alike and they sound almost alike. Uh, when Munoz called O'Brien Jefe, I said gross. <laughs> yep. Then the way Dax said Enrique uh, made yeah. me say gross. And then it was mega gross when O'Brien called him Kike. Kike. Yeah, so, it was tough. I uh, just went from bad to worse. That scene was real trash. Uh, when they're inside that ship, I don't know what it was, but all of a sudden it looked like BBC quality instead of American TV quality. <laughs> Like it looked like Red Dwarf season seven in there, <laughs> and I don't know if it was because it was it was low light and they had Could to use be. different cameras or what, but it suddenly got worse in a way that made me feel weird. Hey man, I t- I sent you a message offline about Babylon Five being on HBO Max remastered. Oh yeah, how'd they do with that? I haven't looked at it yet, but what I'm assuming it's decent. Like now, it's DS Nine and Voyager are really in the shitter. Like, what <laughs> oh, yeah. are they gonna do? They're the only ones. I bet even Gene Roddenberry's Andromeda is remastered at this point. Uh, Katie has agreed to watch that with me, by the way. Andromeda? No. Babylon 5, now that it's <laughs> Hell on Hell yeah. Yeah, it's got easy streaming now. It's, it's... Apparently, the thing that tipped her uh, over the line was that time after either book club or game night that Marjan stayed on to try oh. to convince Mar- uh, Katie that she should watch it. Marjan's a big idiot. Marjan's cried during Babylon 5 <laughs> episodes. It's legit. Um... Yeah, uh, best actor. No one impressed me this week. Um, definitely a worst actor, and it, unfortunately, it was uh, Enrique Muniz <laughs> in his final scene when he was hallucinating fireworks. I didn't like it either. Uh, that was not it. So, yeah. yeah. You got some quick ones? Um, just one. Cisco shouts at O'Brien and Worf, Your Starfleet officers, act like it! But like O'Brien's not, though. Yeah, but he is he is in the position of one, so he should. He's got to class it up. If I were O'Brien, I would have been like, no, I'm not. He is. That would have been cool. <laughs> um, <laughs> mm-hmm. No, that's it. That's everything. Well, the fucking scores are in this week. Okay. Uh, last place with 15 points in theory. Well, it won good. Uh, you brought this up. That is the worst TNG episode officially now. Well, fuck. It is, however, still 
the uh, tied for 447th place overall. <laughs> well, there's so, so many there Voyagers are... underneath it. Uh, yeah, there are... Hold on. Presently... No, I don't want the sum. I want the count. 25 episodes that have scored worse than a 15. Yep. Um, look, I definitely would have told you that in theory is in a, it's in that tie, the 150 episodes tied for last place. Yeah, like for, for sure, sure you would have said that. It was one of those. Uh, second place this week with 28 points, uh, Deep Space Nine, the ship. Not great. So the thing happened. Oh my God. In the first week of reduced competition. Oh no. Voyager got its third win. Notched Holy its third win. Shit. Now that there's no Enterprise to kick around. Have they been playing? I don't know. Have they been playing Possum? Uh, well, they've, listen, they scored, they've been scoring in second place. They've scored second place three week in the prior three weeks. Oh, okay. This is what I've said. Yeah. Uh, Voyager's been on the uptick a little bit relative to the rest of the episodes. Yeah, that's true. So this time they're meager 32 points. Um, this is not the worst that there's ever been for a winner, but it is eight points below the average win. Yes. Well, that's going to keep uh, was enough. Yeah. Uh, in fact, the last time they had a real Voyager episode was Demon in week 91 when they threw up a fat 10, a 10 spot. Yeah, exactly. The last really embarrassing performance was <laughs> of course, now seven episodes ago. Of course, ago. the week before that, they threw up a five. So, you know, yeah, well, they were going What are you going to do? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all right, good. Um, number, yeah, number three, yeah. good for them. So that is uh, Voyager's third win. Yeah. And that means that they are now only six wins behind Enterprise. Oh, shit. Um, you know, with an they asterisk, because they're going to have way They more have chances. still, however, won a mere 3.06% of their... Right. ...of their episodes, and they have to get to 9.28% to be in even in fourth place. Yeah, if they get to, like, uh, the, 10 wins, it's going to be a real Roger Maris situation where they're going to asterisk the shit out of that because of the, their more attempts. Yeah. Uh, in the meantime, the leader of the project stays the next generation with uh, 37 wins. Uh, in theory, was a real bag of shit, though. Yep. And uh, Deep Space Nine is five wins behind them. Yeah. So that's where we are after 98 weeks. Week 99? Yeah. Redemption Part 1? That's a big one. That's a big Klingon one. A big Romulan one, yeah. too. Season 4 finale for TNG. It'll be the last one to cross into Season 5. I was shocked that this piece of crap filth filler in theory was was number 25 in this season i was like man they did a fucking fat load of episodes that year yeah <laughs> um deep space nine looking for parmok in all the wrong places not excited about so, that so episode where wharf and quark like the same klingon lady yeah we, we met her that was the one with this all the spreadsheets yeah it's the spreadsheet spreadsheets episode House of Quark, I think that one yeah, was. Right. So it's a re- it's a redo on that. And I although I hate to tell you this, Matthew, the title of next week's Voyager <laughs> is Timeless. Yeah, you got that one. That's for you. You you're gonna do that one. It's a special present for me. <laughs> I'll be describing Timeless. <laughs> I can't wait for Jocko to wake up and see that moon. Just a Oh, with it's us. gonna happen for sure. Yeah. Uh hopefully Tupac will dress up like Tupac also. <laughs> But uh, next week is a mailbag slash whatever we fucking decide. We've, we've finished fruit, so. Yeah, fruit, fruit bracket's done. It's a, kind of our first freebie. Yeah, let's, let's celebrate by making it a 19-minute episode or something. 
Um, send us mail. That's uh, at Brother Date on the Twitter machine. Uh, you can send us some email or some audio mail. Brothers BrotherDate.com. Uh, go to BrotherDate.com. Check out all the cool shiz. And uh, you can find us on all of the podcatchers. Unless there's any other business. As you believe. So shall you do. So shall you do. As you believe. As you believe. So, so shall, shall you do. do. I'm Gorgon. <laughs> Everybody clear out. I'm going to dribble for 21 seconds, then I'm going to take a desperation three. Like, what, so, what is he doing? <laughs> <laughs> so here's, here's my question. What's good about this episode? <laughs>